0: This past week in my life, it has marked two anniversaries, and I'm going to tell you about one of them, and if you want to hear the other one, you'll have to come back this evening. But 10 years ago last week, I left school. It's a scary thought, and I went to university, but at the time when I left school, I got myself a part-time job, and I worked in Tesco Express on the Dublin Road. Other shops are available, of course. It wasn't very glamorous, but the Dublin Road was a really interesting place to work because of all the different sorts of people you got coming in. You had students who lived nearby coming in to do their weekly shop, if you could call it that. You had children, and to be fair, adults as well, coming in and stocking up on suites that they were going to smuggle into the cinema at the bottom of the street. You had people coming in on a night out, and then you just had people coming in who were locals who lived there. I don't know if you know the building, but it's on the bottom floor. And above it, there's a whole block of apartments. And behind it, there are several rows of houses, eventually leading back out onto the Donegal Pass. And I'll never forget the evening, a local woman came in and said to me, Excuse me, son, do you sell maps? And I thought to myself for a moment, and I thought, Yes, we do. So I took her, and I took her to the end of this little aisle where we sold maps. There was a, a road map of Northern Ireland. There was a, a, Briti- a road map of Great Britain, I think, an RAC one. It wasn't a great selection, but for a small shop, it wasn't bad. It was all we had. And this woman just started to laugh at me. And she was bent over double, and she couldn't even get any words out because she was laughing so hard. And I, I thought, what on earth is wrong? And I know some of you are there already. But she said, no, not maps. Maps, I've spilt something on my kitchen floor and I need to map it up. Maps and buckets. Where I come from, we call that a mop. But where she comes from, you call that a map. And I suppose that's fair enough. But it's really important in life sometimes to have clarity about words and about what words we're saying and about what words mean. Or we can end up in a bit of a pickle. I wonder... Do you think you know what the word worship really is and what it means? I think it's a word that we use very often and we think we understand it. But somebody who I was reading this week says, it's really a very slippery word. It's a word that we find hard to actually define. What does it actually mean to worship God? How should we do it? Lots of people in this world think they are worshiping God, but are they? people ask us well where do you go to worship and by that they mean where do you go to church and then maybe somebody will come out of church and say well that that was a great time of worship this evening and by that they probably mean that the singing was uplifting and it might be okay to say some of those things and and to use the language in that way but is that all that worship is church on a Sunday or, or more specifically singing in church on Sunday or is there more to it than that what is worship and how should we do it? And These are vital questions for us to ask as we think about what it means as we have been doing to be church. We know that worship is important because we see the early church, people who knew and had seen and had been taught by Jesus himself, they took worship very seriously. We saw in verse 42 of Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. And all of those things are things that we would associate with a worship service. And verse 47 also tells us that they were praising God. So the early church did it, but even more importantly than that, Jesus tells us that there is a kind of worshiper that the Father seeks in John 4 and 23. God actually desires us to worship him, but there's more. Jesus talks about true worshippers, And if there are true worshipers, that probably also means that there are false worshipers. There must be such a thing as false worship that does not please God. And it's a scary thought if you think about it for a moment. It would be a dreadful thing to get it wrong, to think that we're pleasing God and worshiping him when actually we're not. And the only way to avoid that is to find out what God says by turning to his word, the Bible. And that's what I want us to do this morning. And I don't want you to take my word for it. You can look at what I'm saying from the passages that we've read this morning. Because this is a very important subject. We read some words from Psalm 105 way back at the start of the service. Which talk about worshipping God. And it says that as we do that, we glory in his holy name. John Stott, speaking about those words, has said that worship, therefore, is to revel in God's goodness. We glory in his name, and in the Old Testament context, his name also tells us something about his character and who he is. So to glory in his holy name is to praise and serve him with all of our being. So I suppose the obvious question is, and I've already asked it, how do we do it? What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? As Jesus put it, how do we do that? I want to suggest this morning that worshiping in spirit and truth engages our hearts and our minds. It points us to Jesus and the good news of the gospel. And it equips us, it it allows us to live for him and to be his witnesses. And we'll come back to that little statement at the end and see how we've done. Worship in spirit and truth engages our hearts and our minds, points to Jesus and the gospel, And equips us to live for him and be his witnesses. And so the first thing I want us to think about this morning is that true worship is about Jesus. True worship is about Jesus. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, a time is coming and it more literally says an hour is coming. And has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. They are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. And that little phrase talking about the R or the time as the NIV has it it occurs several times in John's gospel but it always always refers to Jesus death and what followed it Jesus was talking to this woman about the decisive moment at the cross when a new age would be introduced the R changes everything on the cross Jesus dealt with the great barrier that cuts us off from the father by taking the punishment for our sin on himself. And because of that, we can enter God's presence. We can be God's friends. We can worship him. Someone has said it like this. The whole purpose of God in sending his son to die and rise and live and be at the right hand of God the Father was that he might restore to us the missing jewel of worship. That we might come back and learn to do again what we were created to do in the first place. To worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Do you want to worship God? Jesus says to this woman and to us that you don't have to go to a specific building or place. That's what she thought. Yes, there is a need to come together in worship and that's crucial and we'll think about that in a moment. And it's what the early church did. But true worship isn't about going to a religious place. If you want to worship God, you must come to Jesus, the one who said to the woman that he was the one who would give living water. True worship is impossible if you don't. If you want to worship God, you must come to Jesus and and recognize what he has done for you and worship him as your Lord and Savior. Fundamentally, if you want to worship God, you must come to Jesus. And that's why true worship is also spiritual. True worship is spiritual. It's not a a plain sort of meaningless ritual. Yes, we sometimes do things and we kind of do the same thing every week, but it should never become meaningless to us. It should engage our hearts. It's a spiritual activity. And it's a spiritual activity because it begins with trusting in Jesus, which is only possible when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts points us to our sin, and then points us to Jesus. And so true worship is supernatural. It's not something that we can come to by ourselves. We need God's help by his Spirit, just like when we believed for the first time to worship him properly. Simply put, if our hearts aren't in the right place, then we're not truly worshiping God. We see it several times in the Old Testament when God's people knew what to do and they were doing the right thing, but their hearts were in the wrong place and God could see their hearts. Listen to this from Isaiah 29. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. And so as we worship In many ways, the style isn't important at all, and I don't want to get caught up in a discussion about that this morning. But what is important is that our hearts are engaged, and so we need the Holy Spirit to point us to Christ as we worship. But as well as our hearts, the Spirit also engages our minds. In Romans 12, we read about a spiritual act of worship that leads us to not being conformed to this world, but to being transformed by the renewal of our minds. And that word spiritual that Paul uses is actually the Greek word from which we get the word logical. Logical. There's a connection between the spiritual and our minds. And I think the place where we see it most obviously is actually back in Acts chapter 2. Remember the dramatic events with the, the spirit poured out and touching each one with what appeared like tongues of fire? And they spoke in all those languages to the believers or to the visitors in Jerusalem, many of whom became believers, after Peter's great sermon. And what's the thing that happens next? Immediately, we read, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that might surprise us. It mightn't be what we would think of first, but Luke records that first, and I think that's significant. They had a a lofty, mystical experience that they probably couldn't describe, but they didn't abandon their minds. No, actually, completely to the contrary. They didn't assume that they only needed the Holy Spirit now, and they, they didn't need to listen to what anyone was going to teach them. They put their minds to work. They submitted to the apostles' teaching, and so do we if we submit to the Scriptures. Our worship is in response to Scripture because we can't worship a God that we don't know, but we know Him in the Bible. And so we worship in response to what we read and hear. That's why it's important that you have Bibles in the pews. That's why you're encouraged to keep them open during the sermon. I know Marty talked a lot about the role of sermons a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to repeat all of that. But if we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus said that was the first and the greatest commandment. Then this involves engaging our heart and soul by the Spirit, but also engaging our minds, putting our brains in gear, trusting that as we do that, the Spirit will speak to us and point us to Jesus. So this is true worship, worship in spirit and truth. It's worship in truth because it's worship of Jesus, who is the truth, and it begins and has all its identity in worship of him. And true worship is worship in spirit and that will engage our hearts and our minds, whether that's as we turn to Jesus for the first time or whether we come now to worship him. And the spirit engages our minds as we read and study God's word and hear it preached. And it's our duty in worship to submit our hearts and our minds to the scriptures. And if that's what we're doing, if we are worshiping Jesus with hearts and minds engaged by the spirit, I think this is going to have Some implications for us. In fact, there there are three things in particular that will happen if we're worshiping in spirit and truth. The first thing is that it will affect how we worship together. It affects how we worship together. Now, that might seem like a very silly thing to say. say. How you worship affects how you worship. Well, of course it does. But here's what I'm getting at. If we're serious about worship in spirit and truth, then it will affect how you and I come worship together in a service of worship, and it will do so in a way that points us to the gospel. Have you ever wondered why we do things the way we do them? Our ancestors didn't just put together an order of service at random. It's meant to point us to the gospel, and if our eyes are on Jesus and our hearts and minds are engaged and given to the task, it will point us to the gospel. Think about it. This morning, the first thing we did was we heard from God's word, a call to worship, because God is due worship from all of his creatures. And so we did that, praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. And we prayed words of praise. But what happens when we come into the presence of Almighty God with our praise? We soon discover that he is holy and we aren't. We're sinful. And so that opening prayer, it's traditionally called the prayer of adoration and confession. We adore God. He is marvelous. How could we do anything else? But we're sinful. His glory shows us that we're sinful and so we have to confess our sins before him and plead for his mercy. Then we hear God's word again, whether it's in readings or as it's in the sermon or even as it's to the children. We hear the gospel No matter what part of the Bible we're reading from, and our Sunday evenings have been great in showing us this, we know that we're being pointed to Jesus. And we hear again about how Jesus' death on the cross has paid the price for our sins so that we can be brought back to God. And we respond. We respond in singing. We respond in giving of our money, giving of our lives and our possessions to him, declaring him as Lord of all that we have and all that we are. And we know that by trusting him, we have an advocate in heaven, one who is interceding for us. So we also respond with our prayers of intercession. That's part of our response to the word. And then at the end of the service, we receive God's blessing as we go out to serve him and serve one another and be his witnesses. The church I grew up in did it strictly in that order. The sermon was actually quite early on so that the offering and the intercession came as a response to that The order isn't crucial, though, but it's important that we do understand what we're doing. Called to worship, realizing and confessing our sin, hearing the word and the good news of what Jesus has done, and then responding to it and being sent out with God's blessing as we live in this world and wait for Christ's return. It's the gospel. We're acting out the gospel week by week as we come here. Our service points us to it, and if we're worshiping in spirit and truth, we'll see it and will be blessed by it. Friends, I know that it's easy to come here and go through the motions. I'm not pretending that it doesn't happen to me when I'm sitting where you're sitting. You come in here on a Sunday and you have other things on your heart and on your mind, and you're distracted by him, by them. Thoughts pop into your head, thoughts that have absolutely nothing to do with what we're doing here. For me, I think it's because I've spent all morning running after the children and it's the first time I have an opportunity to sit down and I think, oh, I must do such and such. I must remember to contact so-and-so. Nothing to do with what we're doing here. But if we engage our hearts and our minds and look to Jesus, then we will see the beauty of his gospel in our service. Secondly, worship in spirit and truth will empower us to live for him. Worship actually affects how we live. True worship is not just expressed in church on a Sunday, but is accompanied by how we live our lives. It's a theme throughout Scripture. Back to Isaiah, this time chapter 1, God says that he's had enough of burnt offerings and that the Israelites' worship isn't acceptable to him. He even uses the word detestable to describe it. Why is it detestable to him? Because they haven't cared for the oppressed. They haven't cared for the widow or the fatherless. True worship is always reflected in how we live. Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, offer everything, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul is saying that part of our worship If you like, connected to worship, is what we do with our bodies. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul, yes, and our mind, yes, we've thought about that, but also with all our strength, how we live. Every time we resist temptation, every time we tell somebody about Jesus, every time we put prayer before that other thing that we were going to do, these are all results of worship. In a sense, all of our life is worship. Now, I'd want to be careful in saying that. All of life is worship, but setting aside time like we're doing now as God's people to worship him is still crucial. We should never say, well, all of life's worship, so I don't need to come to church. There's no point. Hebrews 10 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching because we know that's what we were created for. We know in that day we'll be part of a great multitude worshiping Jesus. We should come together and worship him. Maybe a better way of thinking of all of life as worship is like this. God's people are commanded in scripture to come together and worship him. And as they do so, they're encouraged and strengthened then to go out and live their lives for Jesus Christ. I think that's why the Apostle Paul put it this way in Colossians 3. In verse 16, he talks, if you like, about the worship service. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Bible-based worship together, the word of Christ dwelling in us is crucial, but it flows out into the next phase of our lives. Verse 17, then he says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. True worship will affect how we live by strengthening us to live lives which through and through honor Jesus Christ. Then thirdly, and more briefly, true worship will enable us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Did you notice the last sentence in our reading from Acts 2? what's happening in this worshiping church? The Lord is adding daily to the number of those being saved. Now, if I was to start on this, it would be a whole other sermon. And don't worry, it's coming your way in two weeks' time from Marty when we're thinking about being an evangelizing community. But sufficient for now just to say this, these things are connected. As we engage our hearts and our minds, as we look to Jesus, as we're pointed to the gospel in our service of worship, we are strengthened and equipped to live for him and to be his witnesses. That's our task. Remember our vision statement from Acts 1 and verse 8, you will be my witnesses. And the cornerstone of this is relationship with Christ, which is expressed in worship of him. Think about it. If you wanted to teach someone Spanish, but you yourself never actually had learned any Spanish in your life, it would be a ridiculous teacher. You would be a ridiculous teacher. It would be a ridiculous situation. You couldn't do it. Or if you'd learned Spanish some years ago, but hadn't spoken a word of it in 10 or 15 years, you wouldn't be a very good teacher either because you'd have forgotten things. You'd be a bit rusty. You need to be actively practicing, actively learning to be able to teach someone else. And so it is with being witnesses for Jesus. You won't win anybody to be a true worshiper of Jesus Christ if you are not worshiping yourself in spirit and truth. What is worship? I finished with the words that we set out with. Worship in spirit and truth engages our hearts and our minds, points us to Jesus and the good news of his gospel and equips us to live for him and be his witnesses. That sounds wonderful. That sounds very neat and tidy. But it's not always easy. We need God's help. So we need to ask for God's help. Let's do that as we close. Let's pray together. Father, we give you praise that because of what Jesus has done, we can worship you in spirit and truth. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that the curtain in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom in two. Lord, thank you that we can come into your presence to worship you. Lord, as a body of your people here, we pray that you would help us to do that in spirit and in truth. Lord, Sunday by Sunday as we meet together, would you move by your Holy Spirit through your word. Lord, would you engage our hearts and our minds. Help us to worship you so that we can live for you and tell others about you too. Lord, we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.